0: hello this is the fight back podcast hosted by exercise scientist georgia Berry. here you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health my guests and i explore the statement that every martial artist has heard martial arts saved me how and why do combat sports save people listen to find out Jill, welcome to the Fight Back podcast, everyone. I'm here today with Jill Baker-Shames. She is a clinical social worker specializing in empowerment and therapeutic self-defense and martial arts. Of course, I had to get her on. She's also (laughs) the head instructor at Kids Kicking Cancer Israel, which is where she's currently based. Jill, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so
1: much for inviting me. This is great.
0: Okay, that was a very brief introduction. Can you introduce yourself to everyone in a little bit more detail?
1: Sure. Hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. I am, a, I, I am a clinical social worker, but I've never hung that shingle. I, in fact, have always worked as a social worker, but uh, I've been a martial arts instructor for, mm, 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 well, more than 30 years, and uh, – and I'm very deeply involved in empowerment, self-defense, which I'll be happy to explain because I'm sure people are going, what the heck is that? Um, and I live in it when I live here in Israel, which unfortunately is a great place to be working with people in trauma. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it's, uh, I don't know. I I do a lot of work with people who um, have dealt with trauma or are, are experiencing it in the present. And, um, I'm just thrilled to be here. I don't know quite what else I would like to say about myself.
0: That's fine. We're going to dig into about seven different things, I think, that already came up in my mind from that. So let's actually start with you're a martial artist chronologically then. So how did that start? How did you get interested in martial arts?
1: Yes, I have one of these weird stories. I mm-hmm. was uh, the mother of a toddler. I was 27 years old. Uh, Never had worked in in a martial art before. And I was pregnant with uh, my second child. And I woke up in about the fifth month of pregnancy. Now, the fifth month of pregnancy is when most people, if they're going to wake up with a craving, it's going to be for pickles and ice cream or something weird like that. Uh, So I woke up one morning and I said to my husband, hmm, I want to study a martial art. To which he responded as a good husband, you know, that'll pass. That'll pass. You know, okay, fine. And I waited for it to pass. Uh, And I went to the library with my toddler and I sat her down in the toddler section where the books are. And I went over to the martial arts section and read every book that they had on martial arts. And I figured, yeah, it'll pass. But meantime, I'm really interested. So I probably read everything they had. And I came to the conclusion that what I needed was I was looking for a martial art that would help me deal with conflict. So I, want, I decided I chose karate. When my daughter was born, with my second daughter, um, she was eight weeks old. And I was out interviewing possible teachers with her in the little, cha- with the little seat. Um, I signed up with one school. And then I was checking out just one more. And I, I decided, well, I'm going to try it. So I went there. And as soon as I walked in the door, I knew that was where I belonged. And I have been connected to that teacher, that art ever since. So he was a, he was a, he is uh, over six feet tall, big uh, American Marine, definitely not my body type. Um, but there was something about the way he approached it or something about the art itself that spoke to me. And um, I've been, uh, I've been doing that ever since. Sure, It's a Sherin-Rue sure style called Shirinu Matsubayashi. If, in order to get a yellow belt for me as a kid, uh, you have to be able to say uh, Shirinu Matsubayashi, except um, I accept Mitsubishi also. I mean, anything close to Matsubayashi is good. <laughs>
0: it's not quite a traditional martial art if it doesn't have a difficult-to-pronounce name, really.
1: That's right. I think that, this is, that needs to be the first thing. It's so funny. <laughs>
0: How did that story relate to your working at the Rape Crisis Counselor Training?
1: Yeah, when I uh, was doing my training as a social worker, I worked at Beth Israel Hospital in Boston. And part of the training of social workers there uh, was to train in rape crisis counseling. And we didn't get um, the, it was the psychology Interns who got the got were receiving the women who were coming in through the emergency room. What we were doing was we received them afterwards if they wanted counseling, and it was like 10 weeks of counseling. And I really the whole the training really opened my eyes. I had no idea, I was what 20, 21, 22 years old, and uh, I had no idea about. About trauma, about what women were going through, um, about what the process would be like. And then I actually was started meeting with, with women. And what I found was, um, the most important thing that I did was to bear witness. I needed to listen and I needed to, it was like they were, it was almost as if they were afraid that if they told the story to somebody, that person would explode from the, fear from the panic that they felt from the from the shame they were feeling from uh, the very very strong feelings they were having and you need i needed to sit there and just not explode but the but the what what happened was i was receiving an, a, a lot of these these energies and maybe even helping them carry them because it's like you put a little bit of on your shoulder so maybe they can carry a little bit less and often i was one of the first people they told their story to uh, they hadn't told people in their families. That was part of what we worked on. So um, I started to get paranoid um, in my own apartment. I was afraid that I, I had I had visions of people breaking in the windows, and I because I heard such awful awful stories about things that had happened to people. And um, I think that what happened was some of that really lodged in my heart, so that. Later, I, that was part of the story of how I think I became uh, interested in studying a martial art. The other side of it was that I was—I uh, moved to a new city, a new state, and I was working in uh, home care. I was a home care social worker, so I was going into people's homes all over the place. And again, what am I, 22 years old? And they're sending me into these neighborhoods that were really scary places, and I was all by myself. And I'm thinking, what are they thinking sending me into these places? I mean, there you're, are you're, you're, you're a lot of people who are, are poverty stricken. You're dealing with, you're all on your own. And that, I think that was probably what gave me the final push to start studying karate. Um, when I finally stopped long enough to think about it. So I started studying karate at that point. Um, I was like one day a week, I was running off to the dojo and, and working out at home a lot. And little by little, it grew from there. Um, other than that, I think there's this warrior kernel that we all have inside us all the time, and somehow it, it awakened it. It there was a part of me that said, "I'm not going to let this fear sit here with me and make my decisions for me." So that, and it's been an enormous gift that I managed to give myself. So I'm really, really grateful. And that's how I ended up getting involved in empowerment. Well, empowerment self-defense at that time was called feminist self-defense. And that's how I started to get involved in it because I wanted to give back, not just by teaching the karate style that I had learned, but by doing something in a broader way. And I got involved with the National Women's Martial Arts Federation, which is uh, in the United States. And that's a whole story. And started going to their... Uh, meetings and found a new home and trained myself and got certified as a as a, uh, a self-defense instructor through them and then continued on from there when I came to Israel I started teaching within six months of arriving which was crazy because I didn't speak the language uh, but that's okay they didn't speak Japanese I didn't speak uh, that's how we managed and very soon became um, was invited to help build an organization called uh, El Halev which means to the heart, but El Haled, the letters stood for the National Women's Martial Arts Federation in Israel. And that moved over the years much more in the direction of self defense rather than martial arts. And I've been training instructors for ever. And it's one of my very, very favorite things to do.
0: So we had Lauren Bailey on, who are, I don't know if you're familiar with. I'm sure Empowerment sure. Self-Defense is think kind of but you know Lauren. So she's explained Empowerment Self-Defense a little bit, and I think probably listeners have either listened to that episode already or they can go back and listen to her explain some of the history and things like that. But I'm wondering, like, at what point did they really intersect? Like, was it because Empowerment Self-Defense, as it's called now, is really quite trauma-informed that you brought – the social work and the martial arts together or at what point were you like this is therapeutic was it when you moved to
1: Israel or for a very long time I really feel that I kept the two in parallel mm-hmm. and I you know I was working as a social worker and I was also doing the martial arts and it was only after I was training in uh, empowerment self-defense that I started to really see the crossover but it took me a long time to really integrate the two and it I think what What finally did it was starting to see some of the literature in the field. Uh, I think uh, when I read Peter Levine's book, Waking the Tiger, that was probably the one that went, boom, oh, that's it. The other thing was I was working in, um, um, I was trained as what's called an impact instructor, which is full power, empowerment, self-defense, where You have two instructors, a male and a female instructor. The male instructor, in addition to being an instructor, uh, wears armor and trains to give the women who are taking the course or whoever's taking the course, because they're not just women who take it, um, the experience of using all of their power against somebody else and the experience of wanting to, because they play the characters that uh, we all deal with in our lives. Um, and then, uh, and, and be part. It, that's a very, very deep practice of, uh, and in an impact class, you really get into people's guts. And uh, there was a certain point where um, I actually uh, got together with uh, one of the instructors, and we taught a course specifically for women with multi trauma. Multi trauma meaning for the listeners who may not be familiar with that term. It usually means somebody who has experienced some kind of trauma, often sexual trauma, at a very young age, usually, and then they experience follow up trauma later on, and it's it gets to the point where you've almost like forced the cork into the bottle twice. So they and they're very deeply impacted, and it can really affect uh, day to day functioning, and it's. uh, we had to design this so that um, I know that you've talked about the window of tolerance. We had to design this so that um, uh, so that women in this particular case who had had these kinds of experiences that have caused their window of tolerance to be very narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, if we if we want them to help to learn and to grow, the way that you do that is by working at a level that floats right underneath the top of that that where they can still tolerate it but um but it's 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 helping to drive that roof up a little bit so that they're widening their ability to deal with all kinds of the uh, of of uh, things that 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 in the past would might have triggered them they and they figure out the how to handle it when they aren't triggered and it was that that experience really, that really put it together. I mean, that too, if I could do that all the time, no, I think it might be overwhelming to do that all the time. But if I could do that a good portion of my time, I would definitely do that. And besides that, I love working in a team. I mean, there's nothing like it. So so that when was that? Wow. I don't know how many years ago that was. Could be a decade. I have read about the IMPACT
0: program before, and I found it so fascinating that we're getting or that you're getting women to and people to come in and sometimes, and I could be wrong here, but it seemed to me they have the option to say this was actually the scenario that I went through and to reenact the specific scenario. Is that correct?
1: Well, they that in some programs, that is an option. In fact, I think we generally leave it as an option. Mm-hmm. But what's uh, and uh, the idea of being able to give a a, a new ending to an old story can mm-hmm. be very healing for some people. But um just bringing the nervous system to a point similar to the point where it was during the trauma mm-hmm. and giving them the opportunity to resolve it even mm-hmm. without the context mm-hmm. is so healing. And it reveals for them that internal that warrior who lives inside all the time. And just is waiting, you know, waiting for the opportunity to come out because when it's when it's kind of stuffed in there, it creates all kinds of trouble. I always I always um, I always think of it uh, parallel to uh, fire. Fire can do enormous good. But if you and if you and and that's what anger, I believe uh, anger is for. You know, a lot of people are afraid of their anger. They have trouble with anger. But anger is a great Uh, a great tool in a situation where you're you we've got to act immediately the problem is you can't it's like fire you can't hold it in your hand Mm -hmm. so if you've got if you when you've got to use it but then you have to get it you have to get it out because otherwise it burns on the inside so that these opportunities that the that a full power now i i no longer work with impact but i And part of all the impact instructors that I know, we all got together and created a collective called uh, Safe Moves. And we spend uh, more time on some of the things that are more in the gray area, because most uh, most people are living in the gray area with the. with all kinds of problems. Uh, with, with, if you're having problems with people, most of them are not coming after you with a, you know, with a knife. They're usually, com- they're usually cutting you with words and with actions that are much more subtle. And we work a lot harder on that area so that people have the opportunity to actually walk through these scenarios and use the words they need and, and, and stand the way they need to stand. And, and, get to choose to leave when they need to choose to leave in addition to be able to use their full power to push off. uh, I mean, basically the idea in impact uh, that was in the day when sexual assault meant somebody, uh, you know, and a a rape situation. Mm -hmm. And I think the, we have expanded our awareness to take a look at some of the situations that are not at that level, but still are very harmful to us and where we need strategies to be able to deal with those as well. So we, I think we've learned to broaden the range. And then I believe I'm in touch with impact instructors, and I believe we've basically all grown in that direction.
0: 100%. I think the the statistics for the amount of people who are walking down the street and someone jumps out from behind a bush and grabs them and pulls them away are very, very low, not that that doesn't happen, but relative to the amount of people experiencing domestic violence, which of course is a you know, a very different kind of situation. So, for mm-hmm. someone coming in, or a group coming in from with the domestic violence kind of background, impact or not, like what might that kind of a class look like? What are some of the things you might go through, and what are some of the things that are particularly trauma informed?
1: I think the the um, the general characteristic of uh, of that group of people is usually. There are so many people who have not taken them seriously and don't believe the things that they're telling them uh, that they come in, I think, defended and cynical, many of them, because they're protecting themselves because they're afraid if they reveal themselves, we're going to reject them again. Mm -hmm. And part of what we really need to do, I mean, the most important thing to do is to do a lot of listening. Um, a, A lot of people who work with them have a tendency to go into problem solving mode you know, and rather than, and that's a problem, because um, I, as I've said to clients before, if this was a, if this was a simple problem, where I could offer a simple answer, you would have already thought of it. (laughs) Right? So, you know, the first thing is just being able to sit with how uncomfortable this is, for the person sitting in front of you, and also for yourself. That's one of the the things that I don't think um, enough people deal with is we have a tendency to be to, to jump in at the kind of people who help people want to get out there and help people. And we forget that if we don't take care of ourselves, we won't be able to help anybody because we will start getting into either we'll start getting into harmful patterns and we'll burn ourselves out, or we're going to have to defend ourselves. We'll put up a wall and then we're not going to be able to hear them anymore. So Uh, When you're working with people who've been uh, who've been in these kind of situations, what you often have to do is notice the voice inside your head that says, why didn't she this? And why didn't she that? And accept that that's you trying to keep yourself safe. And now you need to push that aside because that voice is not going to be helpful in this situation. And then you can. The other thing that uh, I think is really important when you're dealing with people in these situations is to have people to talk. You need people to talk to because you need to be able to say, just as we say, all these clients need to use their bodies in ways that they were unable to do it or admit themselves, push some of these energies out in ways that they didn't have the opportunity or don't have it on a daily basis. We're giving them that opportunity. We need it too, except in our case we need to physically, it's very important that we stay in good shape. I think most of the time we're motivated to do that for other reasons, but uh, we also need, you need a buddy. You don't necessarily need supervision. Supervision is nice when you can get it, Uh, but you at least need a buddy and you need to be able to say some of those awful things that your head is saying, get it out, not with the clients, uh, and and have somebody say to you, yeah, that's you know, you're, that's you trying to take care of yourself. And it's okay to feel those things. And congratulations to you for knowing that when you're working with your group, that's not the place for it. So I would thats uh, what, the other thing I would say about the uh, groups of people who come in they are often going to tell you that your techniques won't work. So you come in there and you can give them the most beautiful, the most simple, the most. And I think it's really important to interpret that. Um, they're not telling you that your technique sticks. <laughs> That's a completely different population. They're telling you that, you're, that what you're giving them, they, it, it, it's not going to solve the problem. And the best thing to do is to agree with them. It's not Whatever you give them is not going to solve the problem. If you teach me how to punch him in the head, I can't punch him in the head because X, Y, and Z—all true. But what we want to do is we want to get the focus back on them. What is it doing to them? Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the other guy. How are you going to hit the other guy? And is it going to knock him out and all that? That's that's we can all talk about that, but that's not what this is for. This is for your warrior to express him or herself in a way that helps you stand tall and be able to think and strategize and move forward in your life. So we have to keep our eyes on the prize and not get lost in the fact that we're martial artists and we're used to, the other thing is you want to do things that are effective, but not excellent. And that could be a problem too, because martial artists are trained to do things exactly right. Mm -hmm. So we have to change the definition of what exactly right means. Exactly right means it does what it's intended to do.
0: There's so many things I love that you said there. And for me, like I'm quite new to this field and I, lo- I really love that this podcast is really a lot of times me asking all the questions that I want to ask. And I- it's kind of just a bonus that other people find it interesting because I think that the debate and it really is quite a debate in this field around whether or not self-defense is victim blaming. You know, if we teach, if we say, okay, you need to go into a self-defence class, that implicit in that is the reason why you experienced your trauma is because you didn't know self-defence. Now go learn that and now in future you'll feel protected and therefore, you know, then that's healing. But that that might make someone think, oh, it's my fault. If only I had known this, then I would have been in this kind of different space. But I think the way you flipped it just then, and you can probably expand more upon this, is it's not about the perfect self-defense because as a black belt, as a black belt, I know that even having drilled techniques thousands of times, I might still freeze in a situation or be in a situation that I haven't thought to prepare for or even following all the principles that I know that my self-defense might still fail me. However, the effect of all that training and changing the way that i feel about myself is much more significant for me it embodies this sense of confidence and and power that is very different to just saying i'm very confident that i am of the equivalent to like a navy seal in terms of being a savant at def- at defending myself and that's that's what it is so i suppose my question to you is what would you say to that rhetoric that teaching people self defense is victim
1: blaming I would begin by saying that I understand why they, why they might feel that way. Um, and that what we do in, the, in our field, uh, there are ways of teaching it and there are ways of teaching it. Mm-hmm. Um, what informed people do mm-hmm. in our field is understand that it's not the, te- it's um, the fact that they wh- wherever they were in their lives, Uh, at the time when whatever happened to them happened, they must've done something right because they're standing in front of you. Mm -hmm. They're there. And if they got that far, that's a success. And then from what we're going to do now is we're going to start to think about the future and think what we might choose, give more options, have more possibilities uh, so that we, not, not that we'll make a different choice in the situation. I mean, in a situation where, for instance, a, a young man who is in a bad, really tough situation and chooses to be uh, well, I, 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 they're not being passive to chooses to allow uh, themselves to be brutalized in a particular situation because that is their survival strategy mm-hmm. and they used to survive. That was a, a a right choice for that situation because, and the proof is that they're there. Mm-hmm. So They might make the same choice in the future, but there's a big difference between people who feel they have no choice and people who choose. And I think that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make it possible for them to make a choice about how they want to act in a particular situation for their own survival, not just the survival in the moment, but their long-term survival. Long-term survival means that I get to be who I am, not just not just living, not just surviving, but I get to walk forward in my life. And sometimes we make choices for that long term survival rather than the, you know, just to get through. The other thing I think that we do very, uh, uh, and I think it's really important for us is to be very informed about how the nervous system works in situations of stress and trauma, and help educate other people because it can really help because what happens is you take it out of, the blaming circle of you were not adequate in what you did and you're saying this is what your nervous system did in order to help you survive. Mm -hmm. Now you may think that that was a successful strategy or you may think that was an unsuccessful strategy but it wasn't you. It was your nervous system and the part of your nervous system that makes decisions shuts down in a situation of trauma. So you were actually sitting on the sidelines on, a, on the benches watching, it was a different part of your brain trying to help you get through. And it was really trying. That's what that's another thing I think is really important is it's not it didn't fail. It just, you know, it's a strategy. And sometimes strategies don't work as well as they might. And then if you're alive to to, to come back and think about it, and you can you can get out of that situation and open up your mind to be able to imagine other scenarios you can make new choices and that's the most important thing that we learn in self defense training it's the, our we have a terrible problem our terrible problem is self defense is a, is, a, is an awful name for what we do mm. the other terrible problem is that we don't have anything better so we're often we're fighting against our own uh, our own terminology Um, And what we're trying to do again, it's like reframing your reframing your situation and understanding that it's something that wasn't you. It was your body and your nervous system trying to get you to survive through something. And the same thing in self-defense, we need to change the way we look at it. So people don't go to the same pictures in their heads about what they think it is. So that's I start every class by asking what people think it means. It's very interesting. I so I strongly suggest that if, you, particularly if you label what you do as self defense, and you'll find that people have a lot of images about it that may not relate to what you are actually planning to do.
0: Do you give a definition of your own in response to that, or do you just take that and honor that and and then move forward, or do you do you suggest anything?
1: Well, I do. I tell them that um, that that's a very common thing. And a lot of people have a lot of pictures about what self-defense looks like and what it is. And then I show them a picture of uh, actually I have a uh, like a picture from the Internet of a woman holding up her hands like this and just looking very assertive. And I say this class, this is the picture. This is what we're moving towards. We're not going to be doing all kinds of fancy things. We're not going to be th- this kind of picture of self-defense which is very common. That's not what we're working on. And then I'm explaining what's the empowerment side of this. The empowerment side is not that we're adding something to you. The empowerment side is we are getting helping you manifest that part of yourself that is powerful because it's there. It's always there. Then all the techniques and everything we're going to be doing is based on that. The other thing that's really important, I think, it's a, uh, is that there's a tendency, we all have a tendency to think about the other guy. How is this going to affect the other guy? And we really try to get people to turn the camera and look at themselves and say, don't worry about the other guy. You will never know what he was thinking. You will never know what his intentions were. You will never know. Those things are unknowable. Mind reading is not, you know, there's no textbook on mind reading. None of us can do that. What we're learning is how to read the map, the inner map. What's going on inside me, and that's really where we're paying attention. And sometimes that's the scariest part because we don't trust ourselves. But hopefully, through this training, we can learn to trust ourselves, to to feel, to to understand that the intuition. Oh, you know what? The the best book. I mean, I talked about Peter Lee and I talked about Basil Vanderkolk, but my very very favorite book. I'm not going to be able to remember his name now. Oh no, um, is um. The Gift of Fear by Gavin de Becker, which I have read many, many times. It is the best book on self-defense that, as in my opinion, that certainly and the best one I've ever read. And it doesn't say one thing about physical techniques, because that's not the point. It's about understanding what happens in these kinds of situations and the fact that our, our we are equipped to do more. That sometimes we aren't able to pick up the messages we're sending to ourselves. And the kind of training we offer is number one, to give people that opportunity to, or that, um, that power to be able to read their own, their own systems reactions to things. And the only way you can do that is very gradually. You can't, you know, it doesn't just happen like that. And the second thing that it does is it gives you what to do in all kinds of situations so that you have a bottom line. That's why. I have a problem with um, the teaching of, uh, I mean, maybe other instructors feel more comfortable, but I'm not comfortable with teaching verbal self-defense without also teaching physical self-defense because I feel that it leaves too big a gap for me. I feel that there's a point at which if you know you could haul off and cream him, uh, that would be the end of the discussion. And then you can make another choice. Whereas if you're stuck in your words, to me, that's too hard. That's just too hard. I, I know there are people who can do it. I'm not one of them. To me, I always start with the body. I always start with the body.
0: Yeah, I I think the the direction that we're moving in in the trauma-informed space is that there will be no practitioners, I think, or very few in the future that are teaching anything without involving the body, because the mind and body are just so connected. There is no mind without body, there's no body
1: without mind. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's I think one of the things that happens uh, when I work with I, in kids kicking cancer Israel, I work uh, a lot with children who are very, very ill and with their family members. And there, you know, there you have the opposite problem because people don't want to let you do physical things with these kids because they're worried about them. And you add on the other hand, though, the fact that that piece has been taken away from them because they're hooked up to an IV or they've been getting certain kinds of treatment or whatever is another that tends to um, help turn that picture of themselves as powerful martial artists, as powerful as powerful people upside down and giving them that back and knowing how to do that in a way that's safe for them is really important. So on the on that side of things, we're trying to say please let me have this person move. On the other side, you have people who are teaching only physical techniques, which means that they're not dealing with the real day-to-day, giving people an opportunity to deal with the things that they're actually dealing with on a day-to-day basis. If you ha- if you give per- somebody a tool, uh you, you know, you give them a hammer and what they need is a screwdriver. Have you empowered them? You know, a screwdriver involves very fine movement, right? You have to be able to do this. Well, you give them a hammer. They're great if they got a nail. But a lot of times are the kind of things we have to deal with on a day to day basis that can form what kind of warriors we become. And whether we allow that part of ourselves to show um, are things that you have to deal with in a fine tuning and not with a hammer. And the best thing we can do is give people a toolbox and say to them, you're the one who chooses which tool is right. And here's um, the pluses and minuses to each one. I think the the more I think about
0: the kind of outcomes that we look towards and, and across, across a wide range of different things that people are dealing with, you know, kids with cancer and adults having experienced trauma, like, of course, you can see a lot of similarities there but to me it seems like the at the heart of a lot of human problems like real human problems is not experientially Believing in yourself, not experientially and having the experiences to prove to yourself because very difficult to spend a lot of time talking about something and just using empty affirmations and, you know, waking up every day and saying, I'm strong and powerful and I believe in myself. But if you don't really, then actually the back of your brain is going well no you don't shut up and you're <laughs> you're just reinforcing the negative thought pattern more than anything if, if you if your brain knows it's lying you're lying to yourself that's why we need experiences and actions and to involve the body and that it goes across everyone you know kids kids with cancer like you say not not experiencing their power and then so forgetting that it's there and adults not knowing what their toolkit is and so not believing that they have a toolkit and believing that they're doomed to fail. It's they're different ways, I think, and whether you're teaching someone, you know, somebody hits you this way, then you might respond in this way and however broad that might be versus here's a heavy bag, let's beat the shit out of it, you know, like that that (laughs) kind of a thing. And, And I think there are people who are like, yeah, no, they're super different. It's like they both change the way you perceive yourself And that is way more important than how effective your martial arts or your combat ability
1: is. What do you think? I 100% agree with you. I think that we're, you know, I think as martial artists, we kind of get into the fantasy of, you know, then the the bad ninja, I hope I'm not insulting any ninjas, the bad (laughs) ninja comes out and he attacks me and I do this, that and the other thing. And we have fun with that. We go, oh, yes, that's so cool. But we need to understand that people, that not everybody experiences things that way. With one, The things that, drove, that, that brought many of us to the martial arts are not the same things that are bringing these people to our doorstep. And we have to come from a different place. The other thing is we need to understand that small steps are really important. And a lot of times we're not satisfied with that because that's not how we were trained. We were not trained in tiny little steps, right? We were challenged, and eh, that didn't work, and, and you know, and all those sit ups, and you get up in the morning, and everything's sore, and you go, "Oh, look, I'm sore, isn't that great?" This is a this is a different. This, these are people who've already experienced plenty of pain. They don't need to get up in the morning with the you know with their with their abdominal muscles sore. What they need to do is see that they can do one thing more than they thought they could do. And they need to have that acknowledged as a victory. Small victories over and over and over. That's what builds a person back up from what they've lost when they go through experiences like this.
0: What is the, apart from the things that we've already touched on, which has been quite a bit that I, I assume you teach, but you're involved in the JEDI program in teaching teaching empowerment self-defense to martial arts instructors what are some of the the kind of things that you're teaching to that program what's that program like can you speak more to that
1: well Jedi was uh, something that came up uh, I've thought about it before but it was there's nothing like a a trauma like COVID to make you think creatively right that's how you got involved in doing Mm -hmm. this podcast And one of the things I learned from, I've learned from the trauma of COVID is I love working with people all over the world. And there was, and I love all of these programs that I can take part in that I don't have to be living where the people are to take part in them. So I said to myself, well, I know that um, we're talking about a very, it feels like it's a very physical medium um, when you're teaching empowerment self defense. And it is, and it is. But the, The question is, how do you take those things and put them on a screen and still make it possible for people to move forward in this field? Because there are so many people who have no access to teachers who can teach them how to do this kind of stuff. Now, what kind of things do we teach? Uh, uh, Well, let's see. Um, One of the things is to really talk about some of the things we've been talking about. What what makes what's the difference between uh, I think it's a question that a lot of people are afraid to ask because they think it's a stupid question. It's not a stupid question. What's the difference between teaching a martial art, teaching standard self-defense and teaching empowerment self-defense? And a lot of what we're doing there is to expand the concept of self-defense and really look at all the different pieces and start with uh, people's experiences. When a person experiences a an assault, it ne- it doesn't begin from somebody coming out and punching them in the head it usually begins from a much earlier space and if and we have to figure out all kinds of activities that we can do with people to break down that experience so that they can take a look at each piece the first piece is they need to ha- we, we is using your the awareness that you have and seeing if you can expand it to pay attention to more things and learning what is this thing awareness Uh, to your environment, awareness of, of, uh, but most, but uh, and then moving from the awareness of your environment to your awareness of what's happening inside you, which is the intuition piece. What is intuition? How does it work? And then again, play, playing games with people. I think games are incredibly important because there's a part of us that the child part of us will play. And when we play, we learn and we don't judge. We just learn. So, games are very important. I think um, I teach people to use humor when they're teaching because it seems like a really serious thing, you know, when you're teaching. But the problem is, if you keep it really, really serious, people's defenses stay very high. And if you can laugh at it and yourself, uh, that helps people drop their defenses. So, yeah, so that's, we teach a lot, we teach a lot of things that have to do with Methodology: How do you go about doing this? Now, the, the way the course works is, it's a ten-week course, and each session is kind of long; it's two hours. But the first, the first part is a model course, so that um, the people who are taking it online are experiencing a an empowerment self-defense course being taught to them as if they're students. Mm -hmm. And during that period of time, they can take notes and they can kind of, you know, open up their instructor brain and whatever, but they also get the chance to experience. We just said, experiencing is so important. And then often we go out there to teach things that we've never experienced. We're kind of, you know, we kind of cook them up and now I'm the teacher. I've never been the student. So it gives you a chance to have the student experience. We have a little break. And then in the second part, we start to go into some of the subject areas that go with each one of the things that we're addressing. Like um, there, I think uh, one of the things that almost all empowerment self-defense instructors do is they do a circle. They do an opening circle. They do a closing circle. Sometimes there's more circles. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to give people a chance to respond to what's happening and give it, give them a chance to hear somebody else's response. Um, and, who taught? Who, who sensei taught them how to run a circle? Nobody sensei taught them how to do that. So learning how to do that and do that effectively is, and then to use the whatever gifts the uh, Zoom and the other uh, media give us to be able to make those things happen. Having an opportunity to using all the tools. I'm a crazy person when it comes to that. I'm constantly looking for new tools. I actually just ordered. I had didn't have. I just ordered an inflatable dummy to have in my room with me mm-hmm. because I I don't want to bring in another person because I the other person the people I'm teaching don't necessarily have another person in the room with them. So I have I'm using this inflatable dummy to show them how all of these things work and what am I looking at and whatever and I and I plan on putting a really silly face on it whatever because if they're laughing they'll learn. Mm-hmm. Um, We also have buddy sessions where we uh, the the people taking the course invite a buddy. Mm -hmm. So they actually have a body to work on and and to start instructing because the person who's with them, they'll be able to teach them how to do whatever it is they're learning. And um, we're going to be we're going to be doing sessions, especially to uh, uh, this whole idea came about. Because the National Women's Martial Arts Federation, which is international, not national, not just women, but all kinds of people who identify uh, gender-wise in all different sorts of ways. Um, Let's see, martial arts, it's not just martial arts, it's martial arts and healing arts and self-defense. The only thing it is, is a federation, and that sounds like Star Trek, so the name is off. (laughs) Uh, But there's a certification program and it's a high level certification program for people who have some experience. Well, a lot of people don't have access to anybody who can teach them how to do these kind of things to start teaching their classes in this way. So I'm really hoping um, uh, that we'll get a chance to really reach out to people who who live places where they wouldn't have these kinds of experiences. And give them a chance and also give them some mentorship. Because that's the other thing is you can be very, you can get pretty lonely. I mean, you've been, this is brilliant. <laughs> you know, if you're not sure, you know, who can I talk to about what I'm doing? Well, I'll, I'll just start a podcast. I'm just going to do what I can to find the people uh, who can be my colleagues. And 100% believe in that. And I'm so glad to have you as a colleague now. There's someone to call. <laughs> who are you going to call? Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And, you know, I think there are a lot of people,
0: a lot of people in martial arts have beautiful big hearts, you know, and, and have seen like the, what we talk about on this podcast. We can get to this question soon. And is the question that I always ask is, why do you think a lot of people walk away from martial arts or go into martial arts and end up saying, you know, X martial art, karate, whatever it is, saved my life? This is something you hear a lot, and if I've never said it to someone and they've said, oh, is that a thing? Because it's common. It's very, very common, and and I've done research asking people why they think this is, and there are about 25 themes that come out of why that might be, and it's different for everyone. But from that I think there's a large percentage of people who are walking around thinking this impacted me. I want to be able to do this for other people in a, in a more targeted way. So what I mean by that is if you open a gym, inevitably you're going to have that effect on someone just probably statistically. You know, someone's going to come in hoping to overcome something and to have that experience through training your martial art, maybe. But if, you, if you're like, okay, I want to work with a specific population, you know, I'm interested in the kind of work people say to me all the time, Georgia, I'm really interested in the kind of work that you're doing how can I get started in that? Or, or they'll say, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to go back to university and get a degree in psychology. That's eight years, by the way, in Australia. Uh, and then once I've done that, I'm, I'm going to start teaching some my self-defense or, you know, my martial art in a trauma-informed way. And they're shocked when I say, like, my degree is in exercise physiology. I'd, I haven't done any of these degrees. And I think that, the handbrake a lot of people put on themselves that say, I can't do this until really prevents them from helping a lot of people. So I love that you've got something like this. And this is something that I really hope to produce in the future too, is programs for people so they can start to find more resources to just start doing the thing. It's, it's the same advice that we give to people when we say, whenever I ask, what's the, what's some advice you would give someone who's thinking about martial arts 99 times out of 100 people say just start just get started like you'll you'll figure it out you can change gyms you know you'll work out what's right for you but if you're thinking you want to start just start and I think the same thing with some caveats of course around doing less harm before you can do good in the trauma-informed space but it's it's not as big of a deal I think as like you're saying people make it out or feel like it is to to go and to say, okay, I'm going to be the facilitator
1: in this program. Yeah, you really, I think the problem, the scary thing is how you feel, first of all, we're afraid we're going to break people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's very important to understand that you want to care, but people are incredibly resilient and we need to believe in them. So the chances are if whatever the heck happened to them didn't break them, you're not going to break them. And if you are a, if you allow yourself to be a human being with faults and you know how to apologize and you know how to adjust your behavior, you, you're not going to cause more harm. in fact what even if you make a mistake, it could t- could in fact turn into a healing experience for the person that you're dealing with. So I think that we uh, you know I think we're we're a little too uh, we put on the velvet gloves with people and we have to be a little bit careful about that. We wouldn't want someone to do that with us. Um we need to be a little bit more open in that sense. And I also think that there are some very basic things that instructors could learn to do uh, behaviors they could learn to change that can make an enormous difference. And I've seen that. I mean, my yeah, you know, my instructor was not a, you know, somebody who uh, went to a, got a psychology degree or whatever, but uh, but the way that he ran his classes, and he was a karate instructor through and through karate with a very strong emphasis on self-defense, and it had to do with the kind of respect that he and, and affection that he had for all his students, his female students and his male students and concentrating rather than telling women what their experiences are. What do they call that mansplaining mm-hmm. uh, or womansplaining, by the way, it works both ways. Um, you look at somebody, you look at their body type, you look at what they're able to manage, and you respect the kind of decisions they make. If, if if a person can't do something today, then maybe you need to say to them, well, it's okay, maybe it's not today, it's tomorrow, it's just taking a longer view. Uh, one of the most important things I think that someone can do that's very simple, but not so simple, because we're not used to it, is not to touch people without asking them first. Mm-hmm. And in the martial arts, we do it all the time. It's like, if you came in my door, I own your body. Well, guess what? That is not something we want to be teaching people and And it's a really good idea to say, is "Is this okay? Is this okay?" And if you do that, do you know what kind of a corrective experience that is for somebody? They actually sometimes they think it's really weird because no one has ever asked them permission. Mm-hmm. And you can and it's a wonderful lesson. So even if you don't go for your psychology degree, but you just teach yourself, take before you take that step and start putting your hand, even on somebody's shoulder or their head, you can say, um, may I, you know, may I put my hand on your shoulder? Is this okay with you? Just to tell them that you really do respect the power that they're supposed to have over their body. And if somebody doesn't, they're the problem. They're the weird one. Right? This is normal behavior. Just that can, can, can make an enormous difference. And that's the kind of stuff I saw. I mean, there was, clear, there was clear messaging going on about, about boundaries and about respect for boundaries. Just because someone becomes your teacher doesn't mean they own your body. And that teacher is the one who has to send that message. Definitely.
0: We have a great episode. I can't remember which one it is. I'll pop it in the show notes from Alex Channon, who's a researcher um, from England. And oh, my camera's gone out of focus. And he's... <laughs> His work has looked a lot on consent. And really, if you drill it down, the difference between fighting and violence is consent, Yeah. right? If two consenting parties spar against each other from the outside, it looks like violence, but they're agreeing to do that thing. They've asked each other implicitly most of the time, but they've asked each other, is it okay if I punch you now? Yes, it is. Okay, cool, you can punch me also. That's not violent. And... At the same time, something that's much less intense maybe subjectively than some of the things we might experience in a martial arts or a combat sport class could be violent because they haven't been consented to, uh, particularly Mm -hmm. if somebody takes it that way and it's absolutely their right to take that that way because you've touched their body without asking. And I think consent is something that is missing in, in lots of contexts in, in our societies across the world and is something that we've spoken about before. And it, like you say, is very easy. Like even for people who have been training together for a long time and it's therefore now implicit, just che- very quickly checking in before you, tr- you know, you train with someone like, is it okay? Is it okay if we go this hard? Is it okay if I touch you here? It's a two-second conversation that might just give someone enough room to say, "Well, actually, today is like overwhelming for me today, like, or or whatever they might. They don't need to justify why they saying no." Is the other important thing I think too.
1: Well, we have the tendency to play this tape, and the uh, the um, you know, the Rambo uh, tape in our head that says, "Well, you're not going to get a chance to da 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 in a in a real situation. You just have to respond no matter what." And it's like, whoa. First of all, how likely, how often do we get into those kind of situations? Mm-hmm. Secondly, your, your nervous system is geared to deal with that kind of thing under those circumstances. It's getting you ready for battle. It will turn off all of that tiredness and all of that stuff and give you what you need to be able to get out. So it's, it's not parallel. We need to train ourselves. I think the martial arts are intended to train us to, to inhabit that warrior self, and that warrior self is disciplined. And that warrior self is thinking about um, higher values than, you know, than just, uh, you know, than just what's happening right here on the floor. What am I trying to train myself to be? If all I'm training myself to be is a fighting machine, oops, I don't want to say all, but if I'm training myself to be a fighting machine, that is different. And that's a different set of goals. That's not where we are. That's not what we're trying to do in these kinds of programs. What we're trying to do is get people to increase their awareness, see where their boundaries are, have some space that they can operate in and have some choices about what they do. Consent makes that possible. But the other side of that is let's say you forgot, you put your hands on somebody, you grab their wrist, whatever, they have a negative reaction to that. You didn't break them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're not broken. All you have to do is take the next step, which is, whoa, Gee, I'm sorry, I meant to whatever, or I, I, uh, I didn't, uh, you, you look like that really bothered you. Can, oh, I'm really sorry that I meant to, I, you know, you're right. Um, I didn't think about that. And that is a healing experience. Because believe me, whatever happened to them, nobody's apologizing. That is a corrective experience all by itself. So you're not, you're, you're, we're, we are very powerful. But for the most part, people don't break. People are organic. They heal and they grow, and 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 it's all a process. And that's why people who have this orientation, there are small things you can do that can make a difference. And the other thing is, if you can find a mentor, and that's one of the things I'm really trying to to become for people and live them. I mean, I've been working as a mentor for people for many, many years, but really make it possible for people to come and say, "I'm dealing with these kind of situations." I'm opening a group. And I'm terrified that I'm going to do something wrong and that and being able to walk them through that teaching process and ask them the questions that will help them make this happen. It's more important to teach that course than it is to go. then go. You go up and get your psychology degree. I'm telling you, you aren't going to know how to teach that course after your psychology degree. Mm -hmm. The only way to learn it is to do it. And you are in the same position as your students just at a different place. You know, um, a lot of people don't like to use the term sensei, you know, the term sensei that it's translated as master in Japanese. In fact, that's not what it means. Sensei means one who's gone before. Mm. And I try to explain to people that what that means is I've walked a certain road, and I fell in all the holes on the road, and I tripped over all the rocks in the road, and I got lost on the road. And My job is to turn around and see if I can help the people who are behind me who haven't made it to where I am on the road, see if I can help guide them a little bit so they don't fall in the same places I fell and they don't trip over the same rocks. Let them fall in their own in their own places. And maybe I can help them up a bit. And maybe, you know, they've got their own rocks and they're going to have to work their way around them. And my job is to tell them, keep coming, because if I got this far, you can get this far. So when I call myself sensei I'm not I'm not saying I've mastered anything. I'm saying here's where I got to. And part of what I what made that possible for me to make that transition were the women I met along the way who went through some horrible situations and somehow kept walking forward. And that's the best we can do. And sometimes you're going to fall back a little bit, but that's not the point. The point is We've got to keep moving forward because our lives are worth something. We're out here to do something. And I think we have a real opportunity. If you've got the kind of skills that a, that a martial art gives you, that a martial sport gives you, you have something to give people that can change how they see themselves in the world. And you have a duty to do that. If it did it for you, if you got something out of this, you've got to, and all you, and you don't have to go into the field. All you have to do is say, let me see if there's anything I could do in my gym today that will that will give somebody a little bit extra power. And it's not physical power that will give them a chance to really like reach inside and feel the warrior that they are on the inside, because it's always waiting. It's always there for us. It's there for us. Uh, we can we can touch it. And you got us people in our field. We know how to do that, but we have to think it through before we give it to somebody else. So that's, that's my preaching for the day. I want more and more people. I want more people to do this. There are, you're you're right. A lot of the people, um, I mean, we're talking about women a lot Mm -hmm. and I love, I love working with women, but I have to say that I, um, I, 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 uh, my favorite class of the ones I teach together with a male instructor Because that pulling together those energies is enormously healing for everybody. And I want to say to male instructors out there, no matter how muscle bound you are, you have a chance to make a difference in somebody's life because you are going to be different than the other people in their life. You're going to make room for them. You're going to give them a little space. You're going to give them some respect. And that makes a big difference to people. You You don't need a psychology degree to do that. Look what we've learned
0: so so much I think that it has really been as cliched as it sounds a blessing in disguise and I am very grateful for everything that has come out of changing things up really if anything else that's that's what happened is things things have changed and we now live in a world where people I think are so much more open to doing things online if nothing else apart from all the bad things you know it's it's feasible to teach kickboxing online. It wasn't feasible before COVID, and it never crossed my mind because people wouldn't have done it. But now right. people, are, out of necessity, have been like, "Okay, this this has to be a thing." And I think that that's then been extrapolated into you know even though maybe things are open near me I'm more willing to say learn about empowerment self-defense online because I've done all these other things online and people around me do that all the time and it's it's normal and that just gives us access to so many more people so many more resources so much global knowledge that just we wouldn't have thought to
1: seek otherwise Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's made us uh, really become very creative. Isn't it hard? It's hard not putting our hands on people. Isn't that really hard? I mean, I learned so much from just, you know, putting my hands on them to figure out, you know, what's happening here and letting them feel something. Well, okay, if I don't have that, what do I have? What can I create? Or what do I have to uh, emphasize less in order to get in order to get something else? Because now they're not looking around the room to see what everybody else is doing, right? There, you know, there are pluses, and we have to see them. And maybe that's true uh, in our lives in general. We have to reach out for those pluses. Yeah, there are minuses, but we don't have to. We don't have to live there.
0: What do you think it is about martial arts that has such a profound effect on people? Why might martial arts save someone's life?
1: I think what happens is. Um, in our society, in particular, we have a tendency to live um, from the neck up, mm-hmm. and in fact, that's not what we're designed for. That's that's a, that's not a design, and that's not a design flaw. We are designed to use our bodies, and we and there's an and the more we learn about the body, the more we learn about uh, about like. Uh, the fact that there are neurons, they don't, neurons don't live in your head. They're spread out all over your body. Mm-hmm. You, you produce more serotonin in your gut than you do in your brain. And oh, yeah. so that's why, you know, when we talk about gut feelings and so on, but, and, we've, and we've kind of, um, we've kind of put down that kind of stuff as if it's, uh, you know, we want to be more scientific, but the more we learn, the more we know that the body is a, is a, is a thinking, feeling organism and all the different parts work together to create a whole. The martial arts, I think, uh, first of all, I think that it, it helps us tune up some very, I, I, I want to use the word primitive, but unfortunately the word primitive has a negative connotation. Very old and ancient parts of ourselves that we often ignore that are sources of power. Mm-hmm. What the martial arts do is they let us connect to the most basic sources of power mm-hmm. and they and they allow us to take a step back a little bit from all that brainy stuff that we're always doing, which is really, really important. But you need, to, if you don't get a break from that, you don't get to see it as how amazing it is, but also how limited it is. Mm-hmm. And the and the other thing that martial arts let us do is they let us step into a persona that we we might not allow ourselves to do that we kind of have these pictures of ourselves and who we are and it can be a very limited picture and often painted by people around us and not by ourselves and i think you know when i put on that well in in uh, in kids picking cancer uh, israel we wear black uniforms because we don't want to look like doctors but i i come from a (laughs) i come from a tradition which uses a white uniform when i put on that uniform i become not a different person, I become a part of myself, that doesn't get enough airplay. And it's a part of myself that can really do wonderful and amazing things and much more than I ever thought I could. And I think being able to hook into that is what makes us uh, it's we step out of, of our day to day story. And we start to write a, a story around this heroic figure that does these amazing things. And Though And it's just as real. We choose that story. And I think choosing a story is one of the most powerful things we can do. It's a hero. We become part of our own hero's journey. Jill, how can people reach you online, through websites,
0: through social media, etc.?
1: Well, I have lots of different, I <laughs> have like ten million, But uh, the best thing to do nowadays is to go to jillsensei.com. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I'm writing up about uh, mentorship and all kinds of stuff. And the JEDI program. Mm-hmm. JEDI stands for Jill Shames Empowerment. Uh, wait a minute, I'm going to have trouble. Oh, Empower Defenders Institute. Okay. That is... Empowered defenders, you are already that. And how are we going to take that forward and do something special and bring that to the world? So that's one way to reach me. Um, and uh, look for you can look for me online in lots of places, but uh, that's probably the best way i I'm, uh, I've I'm, I'm on for those people uh, who are WhatsApp people. I'm, a, I'm on WhatsApp. If you want to know how to reach me, please just send me a message on my website and I'll let you know because I love chatting all day long while I'm trying to get other things done. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. But try to keep in mind that I'm seven hours behind you and I'm seven hours ahead of America. Though the East Coast. It's a big world.
0: It is such
1: a big world, which I really didn't
0: appreciate fully until I set out to organise a conference over (laughs) uh, four continents and I had people saying, you know, this is 3 o'clock in the morning for me. I said, I'm sorry, I didn't (laughs) realise. We got everyone on all kinds basically around the clock attending, but um, I think after that we'll look to Maybe grouping people in time zones and recording, or WhatsApping, or we'll we'll do something to make sure that people aren't uh, sacrificing their mental health for doing things in the middle of the night. But um, yeah, it's a crazy, big, wide world, and definitely tricky to coordinate at times.
1: It is, it is, and yet it's a very small world where we're all moving forward, trying to make uh, trying to make people's lives better. Not not by bringing something new, but by allowing them to experience something that's sitting there waiting for them.
0: This is a perfect way to wrap the episode. Thank you so much, Jill.
1: Thank you, Georgia. This is so much fun. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the conference. Yes. Yes.
0: Have you thought of something to be grateful for today? What was it? I'm grateful for the amazing women that train with me at the Fight Back Project. I'm grateful for Nari and the beautiful song Shape Me heard at the beginning and end of every episode. And I'm grateful for you for listening to this show and helping martial arts keep saving lives. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you'd like to leave me a review to help more people find the show, that's a bonus. You
2: need to know that nobody shapes me. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it. Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous. I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless. I fear nothing, no complacence. Walk to many tight ropes with no hope, so I became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders. You don't need to know my history, I move boulders. Atlas shrugged, cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders. No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers. This goes deeper than empowerment, cause. I'm the one that power it. Physical meets mental. Challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change the perspective. No longer isolated, but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience, (laughs) meets power meets gracious meets we're so glad you came in the feeling is contagious when you the walking impact of intended bad intentions when you the manifesting of collecting all their tensions you the soul and body hold it all and still remember but i'm a work in progress testament to all contenders forgot what it was like to have control over self forgot what it was like to be the one in charge forgot in my reflection i could see all my wealth forgot that with my bare hands i break all these bars barriers and obstacles they can't cage me they Can't chronicle all my experiences and reduce them to appearances. When I was truly beaten, gave myself clearances to fall down, mess up, and get myself back up. I'm not looking for clovers cause I don't believe in luck. Damn you were badass, I heard them say it clearly. Why thank you very much, I know now I'm not weary of what's next for me. Cause I expect to see growth like I was planted, watered, fed, and bloomed to be. The positivity and accountability, when they won't step up if I'm the agent of my agency. I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin Boundaries, I know them well Take a breath and meditate Who is she? I know her well Now I get to open gates One, two, one, two I don't need your permission And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition To know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing And everything I do, that's me making decisions It's truly underrated The value of self-worth Forgot that I was rich from the moment of my birth A penny for my thoughts, no reason Really? You can't afford it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, whole record it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, whole record it, huh.